and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. On today's episode, we explore what's missing in current approaches to supporting student success and the way we use technology in that effort. In particular, we look at how early alerts and related outreach from faculty and student advisors can be perceived by students of color who may not fully trust university leaders, especially if those leaders haven't exactly bent over backward to connect with these students early on. Our experts share some hard truths, along with some suggestions on how to build trust so that students are more accepting of your invitations to connect to discuss possible stumbling blocks and hurdles they may need help to overcome. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. My name is Alexa Silverman. I'm a researcher with EAB, and I've been working on topics around student success and faculty affairs since 2015, though it is my first time on the podcast today. In particular, I've spent the last year or so really focused on one of the biggest challenges in higher education, which is that despite many investments in curricula, technology, and student support, we're still not doing a great job of graduating our students. Almost a third of students who enter college do not graduate, and unfortunately, those rates are even worse for students of color. One of the elements of, of student success that I've been taking a deep dive into over the past year or so is student sense of belonging. We know that one of the greatest factors in whether students stay in college and graduate is, do they feel like they belong on campus? Do they feel welcome? Do they feel supported as an individual? And to that end, um, I have one of my colleagues joining me today who you'll know if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, Macy Fairfax. Hi, Macy. Hey, good morning. Great to be here with you and to share the mic. I'm here with Macy today because she's been taking a deep dive on one of those elements of student sense of belonging, which is students' trust in institutions, faculty, and staff. Um, and in particular, Macy's been taking a look at the role that technology can play in help building, helping to build trust uh, between students and institutions. Uh, Macy, could you tell us a bit about what we've been seeing in the data around student trust? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Again, it's interesting, right, when we're thinking about levels of trust, and trust is underpinned by a sense of belonging, right? So as we're thinking about making sure that students connect with our services, especially um, in the midst of the pandemic, we want to make sure that students have a sense of trust to reach out and to have those connections with college personnel or college agents, right? So as we're talking about whether that's faculty, that's advisors, support staff, and others, mental health counselors, et cetera. But what we do know and what we found and continue to find is that trust is highly contextual. So that basically means that it's essentially across race, gender, and other identities, we're finding that students have lower levels of trust. Now, this is concerning, right, because when we're thinking about students wanting to have a bit of efficacy and advocating for themselves, if that sense of belonging and that trust, right, is not there, it makes them even more hesitant to want to reach out. Yeah. especially when they're in a very, very vulnerable position. So as Alexa mentioned, I've been looking at this um, for some time. And because I do a lot of work to support the technologies and our student success technologies, I wanted to look at how we could create, or if there was a way that we create and foster those deeper connections through the use of tech. And so one of the things I wanted to kind of bring up here, though, is that and I, I think as a pause for people who are listening on the line is that we're basically asking our students to trust us and to trust that we have their best interests in mind. 
This is all amidst the backdrop of a lot of things that are happening on campus um, where students are still feeling microaggressions and validations, gaslighting about incidences that are happening on campus. And so that's really a lot to ask of the students to come in, especially when they're not in, in a really good place to ask and to, to ask for that support or to seek out that support. And so one of the things I wanted to bring up, um, which I think is really, really interesting in terms of what has been going on here is even just thinking about how we get a sense of how students were doing across campus or campus climate, campus climate assessments, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. um, Nessie, who does that survey engagement, uh, I think it was back in 2020, had actually added into their survey belongingness indicators, which just tells you the degree to which so many of our diverse student populations. So, we mentioned and talk about, talked about race, but we're talking about part-time students, we're talking about student parents, we're talking about international students, we're talking about a whole host of student identities who are not feeling supported and not feeling as if they can reach out to really get the support that they need on campus. Yeah, exactly. That idea of the trust gap that Nessie really highlighted in, in their research. I think it's a really concerning topic, um, one that institutions need to pay more attention to. And one of the things that we found in the student sense of belonging research is that a lot of students' interactions with campus services can feel really impersonal, uh, that students don't really necessarily feel like they have uh, an individual connection with someone on campus, whether that's another student, you know, a peer, um, whether that's uh, an advisor or another staff member or faculty member on campus. Macy, why do you think it's so hard to build connections with students, those deeper connections? And, and what do you think institutions can do to, to better reach students as individuals? Well, I think what's hard, especially as we're thinking about these like historically excluded identities, these marginalized student groups, mm -hmm. is that we've never really done a good job of making those connections or making those connections easy for our students. So yeah. as we think about where the majority of a lot of the interactions take place, we think about within the college classroom, right? And we think about our faculty. We've had conversations about this before. The majority of our faculty are, are majority white, right? The majority of our faculty, when they gravitate towards students to give them these opportunities for, we talk about high impact practices. We talk about these kind of extracurricular um, learning and mentorship. It tends to be those students who are doing very well. Um, the students who tend to do very well typically don't have issues with sense of belonging, right? Because we know mm -hmm. that uh, uh, that impacts their academic success. And so we kind of see this furthering of the connections that do happen tend to mirror the identities of the faculty and the support staff and others who are majority white at a lot of these primarily white institutions. The other thing I would say as well is that we haven't really built in a system or even a way for students to connect. I think now we're getting better at doing that. And so I'll talk about um, briefly a few of the things that I know a lot of campus leaders have done over the last uh, year or so um, in the midst of the pandemic. We're talking about virtual communities, right? We're talking about study buddies, which is through our Navigate technology, right? In terms of connecting with your peers. We're talking about ways that now they have ways to submit or self-submit ways through tech various technologies to get those connections. But it was never really easy, right? And it was always kind of that nine to five, typical office hours, it wasn't the 24 seven, or even some of these AI chatbots, right? As we're thinking of people having a way to interact and have questions at various times and at various stages, right? When we're talking about acute needs and chronic needs. Um, so 
I think those are part of the ways that they're trying to get there. But there's also one thing I do want to talk about in terms of technology, and it's about our advising technologies, right? When we think about early alert systems, who, which have been around for over 20 years, close to 20 years, they have been and continue to be a very critical part of the student success uh, strategy at many colleges and universities. And so here at EAB, right, this is where I you know, went really deep. It's like, okay, well, how well are they working? And not the technology itself, but the early alerts, right? Because we know this is where when students need support, faculty, support staff, many other individuals and actors across the campus can reach out and let us know. And well, I say let us know, I take this very personally, but let um, <laughs> these support services know that this student has been flagged for concern, anywhere from basic needs, academic concerns, financial struggles, and even mental health issues. So like flagging these concerns has always been, a, has always been important. But what's even important to note about this is that when these early alert systems first came on, we did it because we wanted to move away from demographically flagging these students, right? Because we knew we were going about it wrong. I was, I was, uh, I grew up in the nineties. I mean, grew up in, well, grew up in the nineties. I went to a college in the nineties. And I remember going to my first institution and they said, well, because you're a black student, you probably need this. You probably need this. You probably need this. You probably need that. I didn't need, I knew I needed some of those. I was mid-income, right? Um, my parents were blue collar. I was first gen, but there was a lot of assumptions that they placed on me, and I never even knew the label of first gen, right? And so that also was ways in which when we're trying to support our students that that can be harmful. So as these early alert systems went from being, um, went to look at academic and engagement factors mm -hmm. of ways to provide that support, then we saw that this was, was really um Folks were really getting excited because quite honestly, at this point, I think we have the statistics now are like 80 to 93% of, of colleges, right? It's really rare if you don't have some kind of early alert or intervention system are using this. Now, this is great because this is a tool that catches students where we know that they need the support. But what I was interested in was trying to figure out exactly what's going on with these systems. And so what I, when taking a deeper look of like, it was one of those ones like what happens to 100 flags essentially, mm -hmm. or when we raise these alerts with students, what happens with them? Well, if you would have said this about five years ago, um, Inside Higher Ed, Inside Higher Ed had a really good article where they're talking about alerts, um, alerts, early alerts, excuse me, is a mixed bag. And there's a lot of reason to say that because we could not necessarily get that faculty buy-in. We could not get staff buy-in to put those alerts through, right? To put those proactive alerts through. Now, fast forward to where we are in 2022, that's not really a concern, right? We're not saying we, they have done the job and they have put those alerts in there, but how well are we actually with, how well are we doing with actually responding to those students, getting them connected to those services and furthering supporting them, right? Because at the onset, you talked about the graduation rates, the student outcomes, right? And we know that it's disproportionately significantly higher for many of these marginalized identities. And so that was part of the reason, too, where I was like, okay, we have these systems in place. How well are we actually doing at this moment? Yeah, and, and Macy, that's such a powerful point about those assumptions that institutions tend to make about their students based on who they are, where they come from. I want to come back to that in a bit, the idea of one-size-fits-all assumptions rather than looking at the student as an individual. Mm -hmm. But let's dig into the data a little bit. 
you know, if we did disaggregate data on early alerts, who receives them, what happens next, do you think that we would see disparities there? Um, for example, would we see faculty and staff not really submitting alerts on students of color at all? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, well, let me, before I answer that though, let me let me back up a little bit and to, to give a little bit of a, uh, additional information about how we're even doing with alerts overall, right? Because this is this this will kind of get that the broader scheme. The reality is is that of say a hundred flags that we we put out there, there is about fifty percent of them we never outreach to any student, right? That's horrifying. That might be partly. Yeah. And partly what that may be is like, as we're looking at that data, that might be part of something that's like a quality assurance issue. Like you're not closing it, you're not closing the loop, you haven't, you're just not capturing the data. So that's something where we're like, okay, that's something for another conversation in terms of how to take care of that on your campus. I think what's concerning for us that we talk about these two other groups, right? There's outreach and then there's interaction. And what we've seen when there's outreach and there's interaction, there's almost a 10% increase in the retention rate of these students when they meet with um, an individual. Now this plays out and we know this goes along with the data that we saw last year when one of our data scientists went and said, what does, what's the impact of a revising intervention? And we saw that was significant across all student groups. And so seeing that was, was very happy to see that, right? It was a validation of that these efforts are helping. But what's, what was concerning, and this is the third group I wanna talk about a little bit more is that there was outreach, but there was no response. Hmm. And so those students tend to have about um, probably about an eight or 7% decrease in retention from that baseline. And so it's, it's to yeah. say, not that they we're putting a correlation there, but there's something to be said about what could have been the effect of this alert that was received by that student, but yet they still did not come in for help and they weren't retained, they were retained at lower rates. And so going back to your original question to talk about disaggregation. So this is a good, pe the, a good part of it, right? So how are we doing? Whom are we serving? Who is benefiting? Who might be getting harmed? And those are the questions that I went in with, with looking at this, uh, this data set. And so what we found, and we're talking about colleges, so we're talking about community colleges, four-year colleges, private, regional, public, right? This data set con contains the whole um, range of institutions across higher ed. And what we found was a bit concerning. What we found is that disproportionately, students of color received the vast majority of alerts. So when we're thinking about, you know, we had two institutions, we looked at that, when we looked at it, it was sometimes two times, two X, right? Um, wow. Times in terms of the alerts. That if you were black or multiracial in some instances, you could receive one or one and a half times the amount of alerts. And it varied across the institutions, but it was very telling in terms of what the cost is, especially as we're, looking to actualize equity on our campuses, this technology can and should be a part of that work. Yeah, well, first of all, that statistic really says a lot. Um, yeah. And it's kind of surprising to me too, because it sounds like, you know, if things were working correctly, we would see um, faculty or staff raising an alert on a student, they meet with their advisor, they get access to support, um, and that kind of moves them on toward retention and graduation. It sounds like the break in the pipeline isn't that students are completely falling through the cracks. You know, they're not never receiving an alert, um, but there's a break somewhere else in the pipeline. Um, so if you had to reflect on that, what do you think is getting in the way of, of building those connections with students, particularly students of color? And 
maybe why why has tech not necessarily been able to help us as much as we hoped it had? Yeah, well, you know, you know, it's one of those things where it's like underneath the tech is the people in the process, right? And it's like if you have not changed and took a look to do some of the work there, you're more than likely mirroring uh, the inequities that are happening on campus. So one of the things I think is really important to think about as we're talking about the connection and wanting to build greater connections on students and wanting to actualize equity on our campuses is are we sending out consistent messaging? What are we actually saying as we're doing this outreach? Um, one of the things um, as I was digging a little bit further in this was looking at, well, you're saying one thing that you would help me, but when I actually get this email from you, I feel judged. <laughs> I feel in some ways belittled. I feel harmed. Yeah. Um, and I'm unsure of if you think I can turn this around or if you were just kind of, am I getting called to the principal's office in some way, right? It feels, it feels very uh, punitive and, and it doesn't feel good. And so what Absolutely. we found is that the language, right, the words and that the language that you use has significant impact. And so we really, across the board, a lot of institutions haven't spent the time to really reflect on and take a look at the messaging, the messenger, and then the follow-up. And so those are, those are things we can talk a little further, but it really is about, as we're thinking about that early alert and we're thinking about getting those students supported, we just haven't made changes, right? We're doing what we've always done for all students and we know that it has to be tailored. We have to tailor our supports and our services for our student populations. Yeah, words matter, absolutely. And that's what we find in the best practice research too, which is that institutions often don't use that asset-based or asset-focused communication. So really thinking about what did the student do wrong? What are the consequences as opposed to, this is great, we've identified a student who's in need of support. We have resources that can help them. Other students have faced this before too, so that idea of normalizing some of the struggles that students face when they go to college, um, which builds academic self-efficacy, which we've been talking about so much throughout this whole conversation. Uh You also mentioned something that I think has really been a theme today, which is that idea of of individualizing or personalizing the messages. And you you talked about when you were a student, your experiences kind of being treated um, as a statistic rather than as an individual person with an individual collection of experiences. And and that can really hurt as a student and really help the student feel like they're not welcome or they haven't really been seen as an individual on campus. So, you know, if you think about the advice that, that academic leaders and student success leaders should, should take away, um, what can they do to better serve students as individuals? Um, well, there is, there is a number of things that they can do, but before we go there, I wanna talk, I wanna back up just a little bit to talk yeah. about the overall campus conversation that, that these campuses should have, right? Because there's almost, you know, there's a speeding to get to equity, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. equity is this, is this longer kind of ongoing journey that we will all be on together as we see the needs of our student populations change, ebb and flow um, as the circumstances change, right? We, we know that we will in higher education have to do some changes as the, what has affected the K through 12 comes up to higher ed in the next decade or so, right? So, there's, there's something that really, I want to get to the strategies in terms of what folks could do, but there is also this longer, this broader conversation that we need to have. Because my sense is, you know, students in sense of belonging, we have talked about in some way, and there's plenty of research that supports it, 
But the conversation, the larger campus conversation of having it hasn't been one that we've really widely and broadly had. And that, I think that it's, it's, until we have that conversation, then the doing that we do will naturally show that we're not just checking the box in the equity, but we're doing equity, right? We're doing it everyday interactions and our students will feel that. So it you know, gets me back to when we talk about the different variables that come back into how students think and feel and act. And I say this because there's so many students at this point who in isolation are trying to figure out whether they're gonna pause or completely stop their academic studies, right? And I wanna make this a crucial moment as folks are listening here that this is very impactful. It's impactful for that student. It's impactful for their family. It's impactful for their communities. And it's impactful broadly for our society, right? Absolutely. And so it's like, and that's the thing, right? Like we want to talk about the guidance of an advisor or faculty staff. We talk about them wanting to make those connections. But what is that in terms of the, how they can foster that sense of belonging and how they yeah. can open the door to having these conversations with their students in a way that they never did, right? I was in a webinar a couple of weeks ago and someone said, well, you know, our faculty tend to, you know, want to say things in a very neutral tone or, you know, want to say things in a certain way. And I said, well, that's fine. But what they also have to realize is this persuasive technique, speaking to different audiences, tailoring for different students, what that looks like and how to cultivate that sense of belonging for students in the classroom. Because exactly. what we're seeing as those norms, right? What we see as those norms have, have really been about the white way of doing things, which I think that, and that's okay, right? We, we just have to admit it. And then we can move forward with making it a broader, most broader perspective on how to support student success for our Black, our Latino, our Latinx, right? Where our Native, our Asian students, our non-binary students, right? The list goes on and on. And the further we open that door in that conversation, we're ensuring that students can, make their, can meet their academic endeavors. We can meet them with our psychological needs for safety and belonging, right? And, and before we ask them to focus on academics. And that's the other key piece about this too um, that, that I'll talk about in a second. But that's the other part about this, right? As folks are thinking about the use of the technologies they have on campus already, and that's like the broader message, right? 93% 93, 93 of you have this technology on your campus. And this should actually be an equity tool, right? Take a look at your alerts, disaggregate it, see who's benefiting and who's not, see how that messaging is, is working for the students or not, right? Figure out and have a conversation, get that student feedback to figure out what's going on. Now I got a little bit excited there. I started talking about giving some suggestions there. So I'll more formally kind of put that out there. But the, but, the, but the reality is, is there's such a great potential for these tools to work, but what it is, is the individuals and it's, but that tool is, the tool will be used in the way that the person who wields it uses it, right? Right. And so that's, that's really the, the crux of the conversation is that as we think about this equity training, these anti-bias trainings, all of these things, we have found that our college advisors and others have not been able to put that into action. Right, we're still kind of doing and seeing a little bit of the status quo. But the one thing I want to talk about, I talked a little bit about the message. I want to talk about the messenger. So as we're thinking about those who are wanting to or reaching out on our students' behalf and whatnot, there was this um, this report from New America about student trust, and they talked about they did a number of surveys with the students, and students said, you know what, 
we're okay with a couple of different messengers, but what we want to make sure is that whoever is sending that message, you can actually offer us the support, right? Mm. And I think this was even in your research. There shouldn't be multiple points of contact. Find this right. one individual who can, who can support and shepherd the student through versus what we have seen in previous years about the shuffle. Right. Um, we've seen some institutions set up something like a student ombudsperson. So it really is a single central point of contact. Students just have one place they need to go. And that can be replicated by technology, too. So, for example, when you log on to your institution's website, you have to click into lots of different submenus to find the thing that you have a question about. Or is there just somewhere that says, do you have a question? Contact this person. And there's kind of one, again, one single point of contact, a one-stop shop somewhere students can go to resolve all of those questions and issues. Um, I think that's actually a really interesting place where technology plays an important role too, because technology can bridge the gaps and connect all of these different offices and services when they're maybe not necessarily formally connected in the org charts. Um, I don't know if you have absolutely. any additional thoughts on that, you know, given your research in, in technology. Well, and I think that's absolutely right. I love that last part because what we found is that coordinated care has to be the norm and that coordinated care has to be those offices, right? I can't say, oh, student XYZ has a financial issue, has an academic issue. We need that coordination across. So we're not running around and making that student retell their story each and every time. More than likely, yeah, more than likely, right? That student will say, I, this, is, this is actually more stressful in and of itself and will stop that process of getting that support. Yeah, exactly. I mean, particularly when students are you know, dealing with multiple factors, multiple barriers to their success, a lot of these things are tough to talk about. You know, if it's not just that they're struggling academically and they're not sure if that's normal, but they're also struggling, you know, to get food or housing, something, something like that. It can be really hard to talk about because there's still so much stigmatization in our society. So not, you know, making students go through that Kind of traumatic experience of having to talk through that story again and again and again. I think that's really important to helping them again feel that sense of a welcomeness on campus and, and feel like they're recognized as an individual. Exactly. And that's why the trust piece is so important, right? Like just bring it full circle around. So when they we saw that survey and we found out like how do students feel and who do they trust? What college personnel do they trust? Well, we found the least, the people they trust the least are actually their peers, which is interesting, right? As, oh, really? as people have done a lot of peer programs. So, you know, that's another, that's another place for folks who are listening on the line to say, who, is who exactly is benefiting from these peer programs? Or have them set them up in such a way that there is a diverse perspective and group of students who are actually supporting and can be supportive to various student identities. And then the other thing I would say, too, is that when we saw that the survey um, data there as well. We also saw that faculty advisors were the most trusted on campus, which was great, right? They engendered that trust. They have yeah. multiple interactions with them. So how can we more broadly build that out? Yeah. Um, and so that's the other part, like when we're thinking about these strategies and what to do, we know that trust is earned through positive, through interactions and positive relationships. And we want to make sure that student feels they connect, they're connecting with someone they already know. Or they can have that introduction with that individual to start that. So I do want to go in and talk about now, as you were saying earlier, about ways that we can better serve students. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I touched on a couple of them earlier, um, but the one is, it's just kind of like pre-wiring. One of the things about pre-wiring your students, because one of the things I talked about is like, are we getting the cold shoulder from students or are we cold calling them, right? Are they knowing <laughs> that we're doing this on their behalf? 
And I think this is, is definitely a lot of conversation that's happening out there. I just saw a Washington Post article about uh, George Washington University. They had some data analytics. They were collecting density and proximity of students. But as we're thinking about the use of our student data, we want to make sure that we're so transparent, especially with those who don't have a bit of distrust um, with us about how we're using that information. And so one of the things I really loved about the practices that some of our campuses were doing, they were trying to be transparent and provide that support up front, is that Cal Poly Pomona and University of Milwaukee, which is one of our moonshot schools, put in these syllabi blurbs, right? Where it was about resources that may come up, you know, when progress or you're not doing well in class, um, I, may, I will put through those alerts just so you're aware of it and it will come up, right? They have a conversation about it in class, but then they also, um, share that on their syllabi and then also with their LMS system. Yeah, and I love that practice of putting those resources right there in the syllabus. So again, you know, because it can be so stressful and nerve wracking for a student to ask for help, um, they don't have to ask for help directly. They already see in the syllabus, you know, here's where the resource is. This is the person that you need to go to. Absolutely. And then, you know, it's one of those things too, where we talk about what's the, what's the pre-wiring of the expectation of what it what it means to have a connection or have a conversation about academic concern. One of the practices that I do have an upcoming uh, white paper coming up is about Catholic University. Catholic University talks about the way that they actually pre-wire and build rapport into their initial conversations with their, with their students. Now this is an academic uh, coaches, so a little bit more specialized in advisors, but they knew that when they were thinking about these alerts and going back to when I was talking about students outreach, no interaction, right? They knew that these students wouldn't respond to just that one-off messaging. And so they went to make sure that students, they were reaching out one-on-one, -on -one, having this conversation, giving them a call, following up multiple times, right? That's the other part too. It's not just one time, it's two times, three times, four times, however many times to get in contact with that student because you know they're in a stressful situation. But then it's also humanizing it too. Um, what I loved about the practice at Catholic was that they were very much about, I've been in your shoes, I've been there. And they would also talk about the with them, right? What's, what, this is what I can help you with, I, you know, what's in it for me, right? This is what I can help you with as a student with, these are some of the building blocks that I'm gonna help you with. And it goes along with that kind of learning and development theory that we know in terms of how we're, these are still young students, right? right. Are, and or these are individuals who, depending on their age, have never gone through this process before, right? So we wanna make sure that we're breaking down that hidden curriculum, we're having conversations with the expectations and the normalization of a lot of the challenges that happen on college campuses. Me see that's actually really similar to a couple of other practices I've heard at institutions like the University of the District of Columbia and Central Michigan University, where they've leveraged peers to reach out to students who, for example, didn't register for the next term. And I think it's important, you know, coming back to that really interesting stat you found that students are less likely to trust their peers. These are trained peers. So they've been given the resources to help build trust with the students that they're serving as kind of a, an informal peer mentor to. And we have seen some of those relationships uh, develop into deeper kind of mentorship connections. Nisi, um, are there other ways that you've seen um, institutions leverage students or peer connections uh, to really support sense of belonging and trust? Yeah, absolutely. So even, um, I'm gonna pull up with Cal State or Cal Poly Pomona again, 
because they've also realized that there's relationships that their students have already across student groups and across um, multicultural offices and other parts across campus. And so whenever they receive, the advising team receives an alert when someone's a part of that group, they will reach out, let the, that group know so that they can reach out on that behalf, right? Those are individuals who are well-trusted, they have established relationships and that allows them to further develop and further um, take care and, and coordinate that care with those students, which I think is, is admirable, right? As we're thinking about making sure that our students all have a safe space a safe conversation um, yeah. and just a safe ability of, of safety and their ability to disclose and share what's going on with them uh, without fear of stigmatizing or, or potential other repercussions. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing I would say too, this is the other part about thinking about what it looks like is be there when it counts, right? So we know that these students, they're, they're in a vulnerable position but if we are not following up on the bulk of these early alerts and we're just leaving our students out there, what does that do in terms of that trust and that sense of belonging that is already kind of eroding um, our, our students' idea that they should even still be on campus? And so when I think about that, I think again about the automation of processes that some of our campus partners have done to make sure that no matter what the need, so when you get an, a quick automated response, it gets escalated. Then from there, there's a staff response to make sure and to follow up, right? Then from there, there's a care unit response if it's appropriate. But there's multiple levels of, of accountability and care built in to make sure, and then coordination across multiple departments to make sure that no one falls through that crack. And I think that's another part about it, right? We know that we can't always be there for our students, but to be there when it matters the most is instrumental, right, to make sure that we can help them continue on their academic journey. Absolutely. Uh, and I know our time is up, but that's such a great point to end on, the idea of being there when it matters the most. Um, so I think if, if there's one thing for everyone who's listening in to take away, uh, it, it's that. Um, well, thank you to everybody who did tune in today. Um, thanks, Macy, for a really great first experience on the podcast. Um, I hope everyone has a great rest of their week. Thank you, Alexa. Everyone have a great day. Thank you for listening. Please join us next week when we're joined by the president of NACAC, who will talk to EAB's Dean of Enrollment Management about closing equity gaps in terms of college access and graduation rates. Until next week, thank you for your time.